and verse numbers in it. And then you were to go and look where you know that we're at in Ecclesiastes. And you were to try to match these up. It is quite possible that you're going to be like, hey, that's the wrong thing. It doesn't fit at all with what is there. <clears throat> and this is, this is uh, I'll, I'll share with you what this is. Uh, as I study and as I have been studying, I've been studying Ecclesiastes, and I think I mentioned before we started in Ecclesiastes the first time, I've been studying it for, for probably at this point over two years. I think before I started preaching it, I was probably at the year and a half, maybe just shy of a year and a half mark in studying it. So as I study, I've got, a, I've got a, an iPad that's got the Bible on it. And as I'm studying, I'm like making notes and just writing down my thoughts as I, as I you know, come through each verse. And it tends to be, for me, it tends to be kind of a, you know, I'll just start at the beginning of a book and just read through. And for every verse, I'll read. And then I'll read the book time and time and time and time again, and every time I come through it again, I'm doing the same thing. I'll, I'll maybe look at the notes that I had written before, or, or sometimes I'll make a pass through, and I'm like, I'm not gonna, you know, not gonna skew myself by reading the notes that I made the last time. I'm gonna just read through and then make new notes fresh, um, so that as I as I study through, I can kind of get my thoughts together um, for each passage, for each. Um, section of text, I, I do this. And, and I mention this today because um, I've been teaching the Bible much longer than I've been preaching the Bible. And I feel as uh, from, from that side of things that, that one thing that I want to do for you as I preach is, is I want to show for all of you kind of what it is that I'm doing as, as I'm opening up God's Word and, and spending time and, and personal Study. I want to kind of share with you because I think sometimes maybe we, we approach it and and maybe we maybe we're you know not confident in the way or maybe we've never been taught. And um, what I want to be able to do for you is is not only preach to you, but I want to teach you how to study so that you can preach to yourselves, right? Like I think it's much more important that you're reading this and that you're letting letting the Holy Spirit preach to you directly in study than it is for me to be up here. So if the one thing that I ever do right, I hope that it is to teach you the value of God's Word and ultimately that you should be in it yourself. So that being said, this that I passed out to you, um, and forget, I, I don't think that there's any spelling errors in it. Forgive me if there are. I'm, I'm not an English major and spelling is not my, you know, it's not my forte. Um, so this is just directly uh, an excerpt from some of the notes um, that I had taken myself in the last week or so as I've been uh, kind of what I, what I call kind of the final rundown to, to preaching. So as I study for some time and then as I get closer and closer to preaching particular passages or sections of text, then what I'll do is I kind of do kind of a home stretch kind of deal where I'll look over all the notes that I've made, review it, look at it again. I tend to look at a couple of different versions to make sure that, that what I've seen in the text is not something that I may only glean out of the text because of a particular version or reading of it. I don't want to bias myself based on a particular, you know, a particular reading or a word that may or may not really be what I should be uh, focusing on. And and this is this this is kind of uh, this is really my thoughts as I as I consider the 
kind of the stretch of text that we're gonna that we're gonna see here, right? So what you'll what you'll find if you were to if you were to read and look at this, this has a very New Testament feel to it, right? Um, this this and then I've kind of interweaved in it um, these verses that are gonna come out of the passage of text uh, that we're here tonight. And what what I what I hope that we have seen as we've been going through Ecclesiastes, and what I what I hope. Uh, that you that you begin to learn more and more is is that this book is 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 writings about the lives of people uh, and and stories that are really telling one big overarching story right and what is that story the love of God presented in the most amazing way ever in the giving of His Son for sinners right. Ultimately, with this even bigger picture of God bringing glory to His own name, he, He's done all of this, the Bible tells us, for His good pleasure. So, so the big picture is God is doing something that pleases Him, and He's doing this. Hey, and don't, I'm not interrupted at all. Y'all, y'all can let babies cry, and s- s- it's, I promise you, it does, not, it does not bother me. Like, I'm not one bit. Like, let the babies cry. And if we have 50 babies, you know, and they're all crying, like, let the babies cry. Because probably the most important thing, again, that you would get is that we would just open this up. And you could probably read it better sometimes if I was just quiet and and we just looked at it. (laughs) I'm super loud. And she's like, who is this scary, thunderous voice coming from the sky? Can you turn me down just a smidge, Dennis? Just a smidge, so I'm not in baby scare mode. <laughs> I know. Thank goodness she can't see me. It would be even worse. <laughs> so we're going to be starting tonight, and and when we get started, this is one of those like hold on to your seats kind of kind of things. We've got 26 passages of text. Right, And there's literally, like if I look at my notes, 18 different sermons that I'm going to preach to you tonight. <laughs> okay? And I'm not kidding. And I don't know which ones you're going to get and which ones are going to get kind of stepped over. So I would ask that you would pray for me as I, as I preach this to figure out which one of these are the, you know, Lord, the most important ones for us to get tonight. We're going to touch all of them a little bit, but we'll, we'll likely spend... Um, well, I, I just pray that the Spirit would lead me to spend time in the places uh, where, it's, where it's most needed. So my goal tonight, my goal tonight is to show you this, is to show you this truth that, that there's one big picture story that's being told. And every truth that we find in Scripture is telling a truth about this story, right? This big picture of what God is doing and the purposes of this. Um, so as I'm reading these passage of text that we're going to cover tonight and reading it over and over and over and over and over again and one thing the reason I tell you that I've read it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again is so that when we get in here that I don't want you to 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 say well it's man live Lennon's really good at studying the Bible like this is years right this is years and years and when I study I tend to be in one place right going through one book right and I just over and over and over and over. So one thing that I man, look, do not be amazed by me one little bit. What I hope comes out of this is that you are amazed 
over God's work. That's, that's my hope. That's my hope, is that as we see these truths that, that is not the presenter of these truths, but is the truths themselves uh, that, that, uh, that, that amaze us. Because, man, I find myself just blown away uh, by what God has done and is doing. So let's open up in prayer with all of that in mind, and then we're going to start this run through Scripture. Lord, I thank you. Uh, for letting us come together again today. Lord, you are amazing and you are wonderful. And Lord, I am not, and I am sinful, Lord, and I ask that you would, Lord, forgive me, Lord, where I have failed you today. Lord, where we have failed you today, let us understand in that that we are in no way worthy to be able to call on your name much less to be able to call you friend or father. Lord, let that sit on us and press us so deep into the grace that you've poured out all around us that it would affect us. Lord, that it would, it would change us, that it would continue changing us, that it would... Lord, that your glory would be had in us in spite of us. Because you're worthy of glory and you're worthy of honor and you're worthy of praise. And it's your name that we will sing holy, holy, holy for all of eternity. Lord, because you have made us clean and you've called the people to yourself that had made themselves enemies of you. And we are, Lord, we are humble before you. Lord, I am humbled before you that you would, Lord, allow me the privilege of presenting your word to your people. I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in us, Lord. If you do not move in us, then we will, we will just be rocks that stand still, Lord. But if you move us, then we will, we will not be able to stand in the midst of you and not be moved. And I, I thank you for that. I thank you for what you've been doing in us as a church and what you've been doing in us as as individuals, and I just thank you, and I ask that you would continue to do, just continue to pour out, continue to move, Lord. Lord, move us where you will and use us as you would. I thank you for Christ and for the cross that's in him and through him and for him, that we do all things. Lord, make holy this work that we do when we open your word, and let it sanctify us and bring us closer to you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to start in chapter 9, verse 17. I kind of touched on this briefly last week, but as I've been looking at this more and more, I've thought you really need to just go back and just kind of, you know, spend a little bit more time on 17, 18, because we kind of breezed over it last time, because what I really see is verse 17 and 18, starting for lack of a better word, a kind of a string of pearls of wisdom, right? If, 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 I mean, there's 18 particular places, and you could probably break it up in different ways. Earlier in the week, I thought 15, and um, 
you know, when I got home this, today from work and was looking over again, I thought, well, maybe there's 18. Um, so you could break it up in, in different ways, but, but that being said, there's a lot of wisdom that's kind of jam-packed into this, right? So we're coming close to the end of the book, and we're talking probably two more sermons after this one today, and we'll be done with Ecclesiastes, and we will probably get it in within a year's span of time, which is pretty awesome because there's a lot of stuff that we've been covering, and, and I hope that through all of this, what we've seen is that under the sun, what? Vanity of vanities, meaningless, pointless, and, and at this point it should be automatic for us that when we look at this text that we look beyond the sun, right? Like at this point in the text, we should already be looking beyond the sun. So with that in mind, that should make, uh, hopefully when we get to, to the, the notes, and that will just be at the end, um, this is, we've been kind of jumping into the New Testament at the end of each, and because there's so much today, instead of, instead of going over and, and just only probably being able to breeze a New Testament text, I thought that uh, what we would do is show how the same wisdom that applies here applies in this way. So um, probably as you read this and as we go through it, it, it may not make much sense if this is the first time that you've come to this passage of text. But again, I say, spend some time, you've got the notes, go look, go you know, read it. Don't be skewed by me. The Bible stands over anything that I would say, so I can be wrong about things, right? So this is not scripture. This is, right? This is. Um, This is just what I hope to show you the way that I think as I look through scripture. So hopefully it maybe helps someone in, uh, in the way that they study. That's my hope in that. So verse 17 of chapter 9 says this, better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. So this is pearl number one. Right? And I'm going to read it again, and it may read slightly different. Uh, it reads slightly different in the NIV, and I know the other that I have been reading, ESV, reads just ever so slightly different here. We're going to stop, and I'm going to read it again. And what I want you to do is I want you to think about what is he saying in this. So what I'm going to try to do for you tonight is I'm going to try to show you the segmentations on where these kind of trains of thought, these pearls of wisdom are kind of bumping next to one another. But I don't want you to be disengaged in that you're just thinking that I'm going to give these things to you, right? I want you to read it yourselves, and I want you to think about what is he trying to say here. So we're going to read it again, and probably most of these we'll read at least twice, and then I'll let you think for a moment, and then I'll tell you as I read it kind of what I see from it. So this is kind of going to be the way that we step through this. So the second reading of this, better to hear quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. So what, what do you think comes out of this? What, what word of wisdom comes out of this? Okay, so you've had a moment to think, and I'm going to kind of tell you what I think as I read this. So, and I'm going to try to do it in short, little, concise pieces. So in this, what I see is that content matters over delivery, right? Content matters over delivery. What do I mean by content matters over delivery? The truth of what is said matters more than the way that it is said, right? 
The truth of what is said matters more than the way in which it's presented to you. So truth matters more than if you like the way I preach or you like the way Dustin preaches or Kip preaches or Kobe preaches or Shane preaches. The truth of the Word matters more. Right? The truth of what is presented to you matters more than whether or not you like the delivery of the presentation. Right? The truth matters more than the lips from which the truth comes. Okay? Let's read that again. Better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. Go back and study all of this. Is, is another thing that I would like to ask you to do. Um, verse 18. Better to have wisdom than weapons of war, but one sinner can destroy much that is good. Alright, think about that. I want you to think about that. Let's read it one more time. Better to have wisdom than weapons of war. Alright? Better to have wisdom than weapons of war. So we see here some what would you prefer and what should we prefer? Wisdom or weapons of war? Wisdom. What's the difference between the two? And this is, is as we think about these things, as we consider these things, we start to get the value of what's being told to us. So do you tend to consider wisdom as powerful? Okay? Let me present it this way. Would you rather be wise or would you rather have an army of a million soldiers? What if I have an army of a million soldiers? Then tell me what you want to be. You may avoid war. And we, last week as we were reading the text, one wise man defended a city against... A king, right? So, wisdom. Here's one, here's one thing that I want us to see from this. Wisdom is powerful. There's power in wisdom. But, but, one sinner can destroy much that is good. Wisdom is good if used for the right purposes and motives. Right? Right? It can be very easy for you to think yourself wise and get yourself in the boat between these two areas of wisdom that we've been looking at as we've pushed through Ecclesiastes. This idea of worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. You can get enough spiritual wisdom to where you think very highly of yourself. right? And as preachers, preachers, this is for you, we tend towards that. We tend towards that. Be careful in that. Be careful in thinking that you know more. Than them. And what I want to tell to you preachers is this is a temptation for us. Right? But it can lead you to sin. Don't let it. How do you do that? You realize, first and foremost, the source of wisdom and that you are not worthy of any of it. Right? 
That wisdom granted to you has been a gift to be used for a purpose. And that applies across the board. That applies across the board. Chapter 10, verse 1. As dead flies cause even a bottle of perfume to stink, so a little foolishness spoils great wisdom and honor. Most of these are not super difficult if you read them. Right? Most of these, like I say, not super difficult to dig into these. What is this telling us? So you get wisdom and you get honor. What should, you, what should you know? And, and we see this so many times, man. We see this so many times. And people that we, we look up to and we, we, we consider that individual to be wise. I, man, I've seen it so many times. I've seen it even as, as I've been here, as I've been here, because I've been here church for a long time, right? More than a decade now since 2000, man. And I've seen people come and I've seen people go and I've seen people on fire, and I've seen people fizzle out. I've seen people that I looked at, and I would have thought there's no way they ever fall away, and they ain't been in church in a decade. What good is wisdom and honor if we fail to realize who we are, just how reliant we need to be on Christ to keep us from our foolishness so that you're not the preacher caught in adultery or the deacon or the deacon's wife or whoever when everybody at your work sees you and now they know all that that you've been proclaiming, all that that you've been saying, how easily is that lost? Just a little bit of foolishness can make it stink, man. So what does that tell us? What should we get out of this? That we must be diligent and we must be quick to repent of our sin knowing who we are apart from Christ. Never letting go of the knowledge that we should have that without Him we're nothing. And I'm, I want to say, if we... If we hold on to that, man, that's you could open this up and feel like you can't touch what any of the preachers here do when they open up Scripture. And if you can hold on to that, if you can hold on to that, knowing your position and the worth and value of Christ, that's more wise than what I'm trying to teach you here. Right? Let's be faithful to Him. It just takes man alive, and we don't. I don't know that we that we grasp it. I don't know how. I don't know that we understand just how easy it is for us to ruin our testimonies. It's so easy. It's it's so hard to be counted faithful for Christ, and it's so easy to smudge over all of it tends to happen because of pride, tends to happen because of lack of repentance. Right? Let's, let's be quick to fall on our knees knowing 
knowing, being wise to the knowledge that it is Christ who keeps us. Verse 2, a wise person chooses the right road. Some will say a wise person goes to the right. A fool takes the wrong one. And some will say a fool goes to the left. Verse 3, so these two kind of go together here. You can identify fools just by the way they walk down the street. So I want you to think about this, and we're going to read through these two passages of text again. And I want you to be considering what truth, what truth should we be seeing in this, right? What is Solomon trying to say as he tries to pack as much as he can into the closing chapters of this book? What is he trying to say? So 10.2, a wise person chooses the right road, a fool takes the wrong one. You can identify fools just by the way they walk down the street. What word of wisdom should we find in this? Your choices matter. Alright? The directions you choose in work in your church service, where you choose to serve, matter. Right? We can be foolish, and we, we tend to identify this because we go from place to place to place, never finding our place. We find ourselves wandering down a road, and we, when we come to the fork in the road, I don't know where to go. This way looks as good as the other. We're unwise in seeking God's direction for our lives. Thinking instead that what makes me happy must be the better choice. Right? When oftentimes the, the direction that we should be going, we're going to find narrow we're going to find rocky, and we're going to find that we have to work at it. Word of wisdom for us, let's not be foolish and choose the wrong direction. Let's also be wise that when we're doing this, we tend to be able to identify it. So one thing that I want us to do as a church in these things, I want us to be thinking about how can we apply these kind of truths to one another because, man, one thing that I don't want for any of you is that you fall away. That you go foolishly down the wrong path. Right? Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is God's will for you. Or that is God's will for you. Or clearly this is where you should be serving or not serving. But it matters if you get it right. I'm going to pray for you. And it, here's, here's the truth. Here's the truth. If I see you going down the wrong way, you may think we're not going to be friends after that, but I'm going to tell you what I think. Hurt, scared to hurt your feelings? 
I'm not scared to hurt your feelings. I say the same thing to my mom or my dad, my brother, my sister, my brothers and sisters. I'm not afraid to hurt your feelings. I'm not intentionally going to try to hurt you. Right? So if I come to you out of concern, hear me. Don't be offended by me. Right? Let's not be so easily offended. Let's give each other the benefit of the doubt that we care for each other. Verse 4. This is going to read a couple of different ways. Some versions, instead of where mine is going to say boss, some will say ruler. And we use the same uh, same word down in verse 5. Uh, this is the way that, that my translation renders verse 4. If your boss is angry at you, don't quit. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. And there's another word of wisdom for us. right? There's another one of these pearls on this chain of pearls that we're going to find throughout the, the latter part of this Book. So what are, what are we supposed to get from this? I want to give you a second to read it yourself, verse 4, and think about it. Verse 4, if your boss is angry at you, don't quit. A quiet spirit can overcome great mistakes. What wisdom can we take away from that? Patience and perseverance. Right? Let's be patient. Though the work or the one over our work may be pressing in on us, testing our patience, let's persevere, right? Let's, let's, we, we find ourselves oftentimes, and, and, and I, 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 I know why we do it, but I don't think that we should. We'll tell people not to pray for patience, because and the reason that we give for that is, is that you have to learn patience. And yes, that's the truth. But I'm going to tell you a truth that you need to understand is those events are coming for you whether you're praying to find patience in it or not. Right? If you lose your job tomorrow or whatever, it was coming for you. It's you who reacts to the circumstances to allow the Holy Spirit moving in you to change you, move in you, so that you grow in patience, so that you learn perseverance. Press on. Press on. Though pressures may be pressed against you, learn to press on. What do we find in this? Is that when you do this with the right spirit, and I would say ultimately led by the Holy Spirit, that you can overcome great mistakes. Great mistakes made by you, and great mistakes made by them. Let's learn to make the best of our situations, knowing that God already is. Right? Knowing that God already is. Verse 5, and we're going to read through a couple of verses here, 5, 6, and 7. 
There is another evil that I have seen under the sun. Kings and rulers make a grave mistake when they give great authority to foolish people and low positions to people of proven worth. I have even seen servants riding horseback like princes and princes walking like servants. So what should we get out of this? I want you to read it. I'll give you a second. I want you to think about it. Verse 5, I'm going to read again. There's another evil that I've seen under the sun. Kings and rulers make grave mistakes when they give great authority to foolish people and low positions to people of proven worth. I have seen servants riding horseback like princes and princes walking like servants. One side note that I want us to kind of take so that we can really get a picture of this is that I want us to grasp, he kind of here gives us even just a kind of a a glimpse back into this under the sun so that I think we can maybe think about this a little bit more. Under the sun, why does this kind of thing happen? Why do you find that that anybody, it tends to be, and you could almost put this as an overarching if they're living and chasing after things under the sun, this is almost every time the case, that you will find people with great authority placing underneath themselves people that you would think were utter fools and did not know how to get anything done. Why is that? Because you don't want that guy that could have your job to be right under you. Right? Under the world, under the sun, we don't want that because there's some competition in it, right? Well, if he looks better than me, then he may take mine. He may rise up. And then I may get dropped down. So what we find is that that those in authority will place under themselves, yes, men is typically what we'll call it, people that they can puppet around so that one person can really have authority through others, right? This is the way that the world tends to work, and this is because we're very territorial, and when we think that we're in a place that we want to hold, we'll do everything that we can to hold on to it, even if we make foolish decisions in that, that what we find time and time and time again lead to failure of that earthly worldly sought after power structure what instead should we find we should be wise we should not throw out that there should be structure and organization that's not what we should do but what we should understand instead is that God has gifted individuals to leadership right and God has called men to this for a purpose And in this, in this, we need to be absolutely certain that we do not let those worldly tendencies slip in. Right? Kip, brother, I ain't trying to take your job. Right? I ain't trying to take your job. Not an and if any of y'all are, man, if I were to catch you, Dustin. I'm going to call you down, brother. Kobe, call you down. Where's Shane at? He's probably at work tonight. Call you down. You know what you would be doing? And I've seen it done here before. 
And now a decade later, maybe we're coming out of this. See, people try to step out of their position that God has placed them in to try to be a little more than they should be. And people foolishly follow to the point that you see a church packed out to not so packed out. So let's be careful. And here's what I'm saying. I'll be honest with you, Kip. I'll be honest with you. And I think if any man is, is honest here, is that, man, this is not easy always. This is not easy. This is not easy. Right? Because we're grown men, and we find ourselves having particular thoughts and ideas, and, and sometimes we think, well, I can do it better. You better check that. Landon, you better check that. If we want to be effective for someone other than ourselves, that worldliness, we better check that. We better find ourselves constantly checking that. You better repent. Yet God is gifted, and we should also make sure that we're making the best use of the gifts that God has given us as individuals and as a church. Because ultimately, this army that we are a part of is fighting for something bigger Something much bigger than whether or not your way is had or my way is had. Do we understand this? Verse 8. We're going to go from verse 8 through verse 10. When you dig a well, you might fall in. When you demolish an old wall, you could be bitten by a snake. When you work in a quarry, stones might fall and crush you. When you chop wood, there's danger with each stroke of your axe. Using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. So there's one big truth here that we're going to kind of look at in two parts. All right? So what do we see in verses 8 and 9? When you dig a well, you might fall in. When you demolish an old wall, you could be bitten by a snake. When you work in a quarry, stones might fall and crush you. When you chop wood, there's danger in each stroke of your axe. What are each of the tasks that are being done? Generally, in a, in a broad sense. Work. Did I hear work? When we look at that, we see that this is work, right? You're digging a well... You're demolishing a wall, you're working in a quarry, you're chopping wood. Why do we work? I'm leading y'all down the train of thought that I have in this passage of text. Why do we work? Do you, do you work because you've got nothing better to do? Probably not. <laughs> 
We work for a purpose and for a goal. And most of the times when we're talking about work that we do here on earth, we're working to get paid, right? So if you chop wood for a living, you've counted the cost that you may lose a toe or a finger, and you go to work, and what do you say when you go to work? That the risk is worth the reward. True? You're digging in a quarry, what are you trying to find? Dirt? No? Trying to find something of value? Yes. And you go in to dig, knowing rocks could fall on you? Shane, tonight is underground digging coal. And why does he do it? Because there's value in it. It can be sold. So people count the cost and say it's worth going in. Same with digging a well. You're going to get something. When you get there, you're going to get something, right? So you count the cost. And you find that it's worth doing the work, right? I want you all to grasp this. I want this to click with you. All the stuff's coming back. Is, and and I, I pray that as we do this, that these, the, the New Testament kind of ideas that these apply to are coming to you. And, and I don't have to stick it in your head. Hopefully it makes sense when we, when we, when we get there. So, so here we see that, that we, we're doing work. There's risk involved in the work. But we, we count the risk. We count the cost. And we say it's worth what we're going to be getting when the work is done. Truth? Verse 10. Using a dull axe requires great strength. So sharpen the blade. Now this, we look at this and we say, well, that's a little obvious. <laughs> I've gone out and I, was, I had the, this is, this is a story to maybe apply to this. And I bought this, it's like a, I don't know what you call the thing. It's like a sling, it's, a, it's like an axe on a stick. Like, you know, this thing's like on a stick about four foot long. It's like a little sling blade style axe. And, and I'm going to make a trail through our backyard down to a little creek in the back. And I buy this thing in the store, and I, I, go, I come home, and my, my computer type and hands are so callous after this. <laughs> because I get out there, apparently they don't sell them sharp already. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm out there, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, whatever, we're going to get this thing done. I'm like, I'm a strong dude. I'll just chop these things down, right? And I got it chopped down. I got it chopped down. And then when I got it chopped down, I wanted to do another one. And I called Dad, and I'm like, Dad, you got a grinder, right? <laughs> I may borrow that thing. It would probably be smart on my part to borrow that thing. What is that? What would we call that? Wisdom? We call it preparation? Am I running dead? We call it wisdom and preparation? And we would consider that something good to do, right? <laughs> I'm just teasing with y'all. I'm just teasing with y'all. We got two hours. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. It's really three. Can y'all hear me? Are we good? All right. So what should we do? Is it, was it bad for me to go out there and work hard? Swing that axe hard? No. So what I'm not saying is that you shouldn't work hard. Right? 
Work smarter, though. And I'm not saying that work smarter and not harder, either. I'm saying do both. Why? Because when we do both, we get more out of the work. Right? Sharpening the axe and swinging at half speed, I might as well swing a dull axe. The only difference is I may save some calluses. But if my purpose is getting it done in a weekend, then I should do both. That would be the wise thing to do, right? So we get out of this, and we should be preparing ourselves. We should be working hard. Another thing that you should get out of this is if I swing that axe enough times, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to sharpen it again. So this idea of sharpening or preparing is not a one-time thing. It's something I'm going to have to continuously do. Time and time again. If I'm working, I'm going to have to sharpen. If I'm working, I'm going to have to sharpen. All right? You follow me? Let's continue on. Verse 11. If a snake bites you before you charm it, what's the use of being a snake charmer? Let's think about that one for a minute. If a snake bites you before you charm it, what's the use of being a snake charmer? What do you imagine the the wisdom that we should get out of this is? Don't mess with snakes first. (laughs) That's probably the biggest word of wisdom. Stay away from the snakes. But if for whatever reason God calls you into snake charming, what should you do? Call my cane. Step two. (laughs) You should charm the snake before it gets ready to bite you. What's the point in charming a snake? To keep it from biting you. At the point it bites you, what can you say about your work? Too little, too late. Timing is everything, they say. Right? Timing is everything. What's the use in being a good snake charmer if you wait till the opportunity to charm the snake is gone. So, so, and there's, again, you should be, this should be pushing forward to us as Christians and the gifts that God's given us and, and what should we be doing with those gifts and, and the question, are we letting the opportunity slip by us? Right? Or are we going to charm the snake? Right? So let's push on. Verse 12. And we're going to read a couple here also. We're going to read 12 down to um, 15. And these are really probably three thoughts that really go good together. Right? So we're going to do them as one. Wise words, verse 12. Wise words bring approval, but fools are destroyed by their own words. All right? Wise words bring approval, but fools are destroyed by their own words. Fools base their thoughts on foolish assumptions, so their conclusions will be wicked madness. They chatter on and on. No one really knows what is going to happen. No one can predict the future. Fools are so exhausted by a little work that they can't even find their way home. Some there will render it can't find their way to the, to the city. Uh, so three truths in this. 
three truths in this. I think all of these truths are very tightly coupled together. I want us to read through this one more time, and then for the sake of time, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to start now kind of speeding things up a little bit. So, wise words bring approval, but fools are destroyed by their own words. What do we see here? Words matter. All right? Your words matter. The words you speak to others matter. The words you speak to yourself matter. Why? What does Christ tell us about the words that come from our mouths? Where's the source? The heart. So what comes from our mouth is evidence of what's fixed within us. Our words matter. What you tell yourself about yourself matters. What you tell yourself about who Christ is matters. It's going to affect the way you think. Right? going to affect the way you think. What you say then to others also matters. Because what you say comes from your heart. Right? So we should be wise in the choosing of our words. And I think that we can find when we are not. And when we don't think on what it is that we're going to say. And we don't let the Spirit mold it. Then we'll find ourselves destroying ourselves like fools. Do we want to be there? No, clearly not. Then what should we do? Let's choose our words wisely. Why? Because your words matter. Verse 13, fools base their thoughts on foolish assumptions, so their conclusions will be wicked madness. Right? So this should be clear. If your assumptions are wrong, if you say God does not exist, and you live as though God does not exist, and He exists What does that say about everything that you do based on your thoughts? Your conclusions will be foolish because they're founded on foolish assumptions. Your thoughts, church, matter. What we think about ourselves and what we think about God and what value we place on Scripture matters. Do we think well? It matters. Do we understand that? Right? What do we think about this book and the way that we treat this book matters. Because if we're on the assumption that it's a book like any other book, then the conclusion that leads to will lead to foolish things. Yet, if we base our assumptions on something true and we live our lives according to that truth, then The opposite will be true for us. Church, your thoughts matter. Verse 15 here. Fools are so exhausted by little work that they can't even find their way home. And we're going to hit 16 and 17 to kind of reiterate what we're going to say here. But I just want to leave 15 saying this. Your work matters. What you do and the actions you take matter. So your words matter, your thoughts matter, your actions matter. Do you understand this? Verse 16, uh, we're going to do 16, 17, and 18 here. 
16, 17, 18. What sorrow for the land ruled by a servant, the land whose leaders feast in the morning. Happy is the land whose king is a noble leader and whose leaders feast at the proper time to gain strength for their work, not to get drunk. So I want us to look and I want, us to, I want you to read this again to yourself here. I'm going to give you a second and then we're going to read it again and we're going to kind of discuss a little bit about what is this telling us. So let's go ahead and hit 18 there also. Laziness leads to a sagging roof. Idleness leads to a leaky house. All right, so 16, 17, 18 here. Let's read it one more time. What sorrow for the land ruled by a servant, the land whose leaders feast in the morning. Happy is the land whose king is a noble leader, whose leaders feast at the proper time to gain strength for their work, not to get drunk. What should we pull from this? Both people, both cases, taking action, right? Both doing something. The first, doing it wrong. The second, doing it right. So, your words matter, your thoughts matter, your actions matter, and if you do it properly, it matters. Right? The reasons why you do it matter. Church, your actions are important. Verse 19, a party gives laughter, wine gives happiness, and money gives everything. Let's read that again. Because I, I wonder if you read this thing after what we've seen up to this point in Ecclesiastes, you, you should be thinking like me, like, is this guy again out of his mind? Like all the stuff that he said about how worthless money is, and now he's stopping here and he's like, money gets you everything? Like, what are you, what are you saying? What are you saying? And this one almost feels again, doesn't it? Like it's maybe out of place a little bit. So I want us to read that again. It won't take us but a second. A party gives laughter. Wine gives happiness. Money gives everything. What do those three things have in common? Like what's going on? What's the, what's the thing being done in between the commas there? Party, wine, money. One side of this equation. Right? Laughter, happiness, everything. The other side of this equation. What do you need to throw a party? What do you need to go buy wine? So what does money do? Church does a lot. Right? It does a lot. And then... Though our money used for our means to ends under this world will lead to nothing but disappointment, wastefulness, and failure. If we're wise in the purposes for which we use our money, 
right? And I'm not talking about building bigger buildings. I'm not talking about the thing that if you went to most churches and, and you said, what are you doing with your money, that they're going to have that on their itemized list of whatever. I'm talking about money. We as a church in America are dropping the ball. Do you, do you not realize this? Probably not, because we tend to live in the bubble that is America. We don't, we look, because here's what happens. Here's what happens. We look at our church, and how many of us would say our church is a rich church? Like, like by American standards. And not a, not a single one of us, right? Not a single one of us. But this is, this is the truth, and this is why I want us to, to understand this, is that with the resources that we have here, and that we've spent here in the last decade, hundreds of children could have been cared for instead. Hundreds of children whose lives would be different because we made better use of our resources. So what I'm not telling you is that it's bad to have money. I'm telling you we are overly blessed. Overly blessed. And that we should not look at ourselves as a, as a poor church that really can barely pay the bills. Right? Because we're a handful of years away from having this paid off. And if you look at what we pay for this building, and you asked yourself, what if we put that into people? Do you know what we would find is that we can change Cordova. We can. We can change a, we can change a city that can't rebuild buildings that it never could keep up to begin with. And I'm not saying we go build buildings. I'm saying that there's hungry here. There's people who need clothing here. How often do we dip into our clothing closet that's upstairs? How, how many of us even realized that we had one? Huh? Did we not used to have like a, a food pantry that we would... Why couldn't we say, if you're hungry, come find something to eat? What's to say we can't? Church, we can. We can. We've been blessed. Let's not overlook it looking at the church that's in Birmingham that's got 3,000 members. Right? So what can we do for the kingdom? What have you given us? How can we make the best use of what you've given us, Lord? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Is that you can do a lot with money if you use it right. Money's not evil our love for it above God is evil. Our willingness to think that if I can clench on to it a little bit longer, then I'll get enough of it to get what I want, and what you want is not what God wants. So you find yourself gripping its sand as it slips through your fingers. Right? So let's understand this. Money is not evil, and we can do much good with the money that God has blessed us with. And, and it doesn't have to start in a couple of years when we get the church paid off. Right? It doesn't. We can start now. We can start now. You as individuals can start now. 
verse 20. And this will end chapter 10, and we'll only have a handful of verses in the next chapter. Never make light of the king, even in your thoughts, and don't make fun of the powerful, even in your own bedroom, for a little bird might deliver your message and tell them what you said. What, what should we draw from this? What should we draw from this? What inside of wisdom is Solomon trying to give us here? Verse 20, let's read it again. Never make light of the king, even in your thoughts, and don't make fun of the powerful, even in your bedroom. So these are, these are secret things, right? These are secret things that is telling us not to do to people who are here public people, the king here, Right? For a little bird might deliver your message and tell them what you said. What we should glean from this is, one, that we should be loyal, right? We should be loyal and faithful. And, church, ultimately that loyalty is is to God. And we get a picture in the New Testament, even when they're talking about, like, earthly government, that, that we're told to submit, right, even to earthly government, ultimately we can do that because we know the God who is sovereign. We know the King of kings, right? So in any, in any place, whether it's within the church or whether it's anywhere, let us find ourselves loyal to the positions that God has placed us in, right? Loyal to those He's placed above us, loyal to those He's placed Below us, perhaps, loyal to those to whom we labor and serve. Right? Let's be loyal. Sometimes that's hard. Right? I want to tell you, when I show up on Sunday mornings, and I've been teaching the college and career class now, or it's young adults class now, I've been, I've been teaching it for probably eight, nine years. Right? And I'm a, I'm going to tell you the truth. That sometimes it's hard when I walk in there and I've spent countless hours in studying God's Word. And if you show up, you show up 15 minutes late. Landon, this is for you. Be loyal. We can learn a church, we can learn a lot. In, in our submission to the places that God has put us and being loyal because we know that ultimately I labor for Him. So my loyalty is not to numbers or to excitement or to pats on the back. My loyalty is to Him. So I'll serve, man. I'll serve. And if I study and nobody shows up, You may hear me back there mumbling to myself. Amen. Amen a hundred times over. And that's where we find our loyalty. See, we're loyal. Church, we're loyal to the one who was... Loyal to us long before we ever hoped to be loyal to anything. So we should say with the apostles, to whom else would I go? 
To whom else would I go? You have the word of truth, the word of life. Let us learn loyalty. Instead of so easy to run our mouths. And even if we're not running our mouths, how often do we find ourselves thinking in our heads? Verse 11. Or, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 1. Send your grain across the seas, and in time, profits will flow back to you. But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. This one should be straightforward to us. This one should be straightforward to us. All right? This is wisdom in investing, again, we see this idea of making good use of what we've been given. We find these truths in the New Testament as well, this idea of making use of what's been given to us, making proper investments with these gifts. Prophets will come. This is what we're told. 19 of chapter 10, money gives everything. We get this idea of loyalty in between. And then we get this idea in verse 1 that, that the returns are coming, right? That the work and the labor and the investments are not in vain. You've been loyal. You've been wise in your investments. And here come the returns. Verse 3 of this chapter. When clouds are heavy, the rain comes down. Whether a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. Here we see, and, and when, I, when I read this, this is another one of those that, that I kind of have to wrestle in my head. Like, wh- how, why does that verse fall there? Right? Why does that verse fall there? And, and what we should see from this, what, what are both of these things? One obvious is what we should think. Right when the when the rain clouds are heavy, what's going to happen? Clearly, rain. Right, clearly rain. When a tree falls, what happens to the tree that falls? Nothing. Right. So these these are obvious truths to us. Right. Who directs the rain? And what tree will grow that will not fall? And he not direct the path for which it lands. Right? So, we've talked about inevitabilities, right? Death being the largest. It's inevitable for us apart from the return of Christ. Right? Death is coming. What do we know about things that are inevitable? What do we know? There's nothing you can do but you know the one who's in control of it, right? God is in control of these things which are inevitable. And He has also given us eyes for which we can see the clouds, right? So we should seek wisdom and knowledge and understanding that God is in control. Sometimes we can see it coming. Sometimes not. Either way, 
God is in control of where things fall. Verse 4, the farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. It's going to be the last verse that we look at today. This is really, we're going to pick up next time in verse 5. And it's going to kind of end cap some of these things and then continue on there. But I want us to think about the truth that should fall out in front of us in verse 4 of chapter 11. What is that truth? Read it again. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Why? Why? Because to our eyes, the time never seems right. And we can always talk ourselves into one more day. I'll just wait one more day, right? Hold on. It doesn't, I don't think the time's right. It's not time to strike. It's not time to try to, you know, I just took the top off the snake basket. Right? It's just raising out. It's not really time to do anything yet. Until the time passes by. Are we going to find ourselves as individuals? Because I want us to think about this on two levels. You as an individual and us as a church. Are you going to find that you look at the situation and you look at the circumstances and you find that the time is never right and you never step out in any kind of action for fear that you step out in a time when the time wasn't right and tomorrow you find out it was. What do we know about tomorrow? You don't have it. You have what? Now. So what are you going to do with now? Are you going to sit around waiting on the perfect circumstances? The perfect place in life where you don't have to worry about anything else and now you can focus on God? What truth does Scripture tell us about this? What wisdom should we glean from this? That if you look for perfect opportunity, opportunity will pass you by. Church, let's not find ourselves there. Right? Let's, let's not find ourselves as individuals, and let's not find ourselves as a church body failing to do anything, failing to take any action for fear of failure, for fear of bad circumstances, for fear of lack of preparation, for fear of bad timing. Let us live with urgency, knowing that today could be our last and that we are to make the most of it. Now I want to just close out, just reading you my thoughts. As I and and again, I would say go through uh, and 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 examine this. But as I as I read these truths, and 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 this uh, this didn't just like pour forth from, you know, I'm not like just like so. This is like months and months and months of looking and seeking and. Saying, Lord, what is the, what are these things saying? What 
what are what are we to take from this and and this is what it is currently we must be wise to the truth of god understanding that it provides a power greater than weapons of war we must be careful to stay away from the sin that corrupts us and make wise decisions on the course that has been set before us. We must work with persistence and patience together as one body using the gifts that have been given to us, and we must be wise in our organization. We must count the cost of the tasks set before us, for the time is now. We must choose our words wisely, and we must think with the mind of Christ. We must understand that inaction is foolish, and the work before us is not for the weak or the foolish at heart. Let us feast on the body of Christ and drink the blood of his sacrifice. Now is not the time for laziness, and there is no room for idle hands. Let us make proper use of our resources and let us be loyal to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We know nothing will be lost and all our investing in the lives of others will bring back a many-fold return. We can see the inevitable and we understand that it's in the hands of God. Now I'll leave you with a question, church. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are faithful to us when so oftentimes we find ourselves unfaithful to you. Lord, you love us, though Oftentimes we act very unlovable. And you care for us each and every day when many of our days are spent with not one thought on caring for others. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, move in our lives. Lord, that you would do something through us for your name and for your glory Lord that we would not be crippled by fear Lord that we would do something Lord that we would risk something count the cost and and find that you are worth every risk that we could take Lord I thank you for my church family I thank you for allowing me to serve them that we would fall more and more in love with your word that we would 
have it written on our hearts. Lord, that you would change us so that we look strange to people. Who is this people that feasts on the body of their Savior and who remembers him by remembering the blood? Lord, let us not eat or drink unworthily. for the cross Lord that you would burn it in our hearts Lord our our passions are sinful we need you to shape them Lord that we would be quick to repent that we would not be blind to our need for it in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.